On stage, backstage, or front of house, Theatre Geeks has community theatre covered. Hi, I'm Dave Dufour. I'm John Schaup. And I'm Marsha Fulmer. And we are Theatre Geeks. Welcome to Theatre Geeks, the podcast about community theatre and the performing arts. We have a, a special guest today. You know, they're all spe- I always say it's a special guest, <laughs> but it is a special. This is actually a very special guest. Uh, we have with us uh, Elaine Liner, uh, who is in, uh, is it Dallas? Yes. Yeah, in Dallas, Texas. Uh, Elaine is a playwright uh, and also former journalist, uh, maybe still a journalist a little bit, right? Tiny bit. Tiny bit, okay. And Elaine is uh, the playwright for one of a number of selected plays part, that are part of the American Association of Community Theaters' new play fest. And the play that she wrote, which is called Finishing School, is, uh, is, the, is a show that is going to be performed here as a world premiere at Elkhart Civic Theater at the Bristol Opera House, which is our home theater. So we thought it was a good time to uh, bring Elaine with, uh, on with us and talk about uh, writing the play and uh, maybe a little bit about the, the new play fest. And uh, and how all that worked, but welcome to Theater Geeks, Elaine. Thank you. Um, Pleased to be here. We uh, tell us a little bit about you. You you started off uh, in in some respects like our uh, fellow geek here, Marshall Fulmer, as a newspaper writer in Ohio, and then and then Texas. Is that how that worked? Well, Texas, and then Ohio, and then back to Texas. I worked in Ohio. I worked at the Columbus Dispatch and the Toledo Blade. And here in Texas, I was uh, with both of the Dallas newspapers and with newspapers all over the place. So um, as newspapers closed down one by one or laid off their arts critics, I kept having to find new jobs. And now there aren't any more jobs. So you make your own, right? I'm a recovering journalist. I still do a little (laughs) bit of freelancing for one of the weeklies here and for a couple of websites but really, there's not much paying work for a journalist like me who specializes in coverage of the performing arts. I was a theater critic for 15 years. Huh. That was my favorite job. That's what I did, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and our paper is, well, I retire, but uh, you're right. There's not much place for uh, arts people in the uh, print newspaper world. Yeah, they they got rid of all the writers who were writing about the interesting stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's <laughs> only there's only a few. I'm a little surprised that a place uh, a, a town as uh, you know a yeah. large metro area as uh, Dallas and Fort Worth wouldn't have someone doing it. Chicago still has uh, Chris Jones, and yes, the New I York Chris, the yeah. New York Times has uh, yeah. several people. But it's Scott just, and Ben Brantley. Yeah, right. Yes. Yeah, yeah. But it's just kind of uh, it's sad that that they, they haven't put as much of a, a premium on good writing and good reporting and, and analysis and you know well, there's a lot of things that the newspapers <laughs> really aren't well, doing anymore to compete with websites. The reason I was given for my uh, getting laid off in January of 2016 was nobody clicks on your stuff. And oh, jeez. I, I, I'm like, well, 
maybe they read it in print. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody <laughs> clicks know. on your stuff. That's a Nobody new one. Nobody clicks on your stuff. So I said, well, I, I'm sorry I don't put up cat videos. But, exactly. You know, right. Anyway, yeah. anyway, yeah. I, I've moved on, as they say on reality TV. Yeah. I've moved on. So, yeah. so um, you know, here you are now, though. You're you're writing plays. You're actually yeah. also an actress. I see you have a one woman show as well. I do. Yeah. Yeah. So, I where, mean, uh, go ahead. Oh, I was just curious. I mean, where did your love of theater kind of kick off? Well. I started there. So I have an undergraduate degree in theater. I studied with the great Paul Baker, who was the founder of the Dallas Theater Center, and he was head of the theater department at Trinity University. And that was my dream going up, was really having gone to the Dallas Theater Center, you know, all through my childhood and teen years. I just wanted to do that thing. So I got a degree in theater, moved to New York immediately, you know, pretty soon after college, to be a playwright. (laughs) 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 And in your 20s, you quickly realize not only are there, you know, you you have to earn a living to live in New York City. And back in the 1970s, early 80s, it was way cheaper to live in New York, but it was still twice as expensive as living in Texas. Yeah. So I did, uh, to earn a living, I did... The other thing I knew how to do, which was journalism, and I got a job working for magazines and newspapers in New York City. And that's the silly, I say I worked my way down in market size. I started out working for some of the biggest magazines in the world and worked my way down to working for newspapers in Texas. So, um, but that's really kind of my, my entry into journalism was to try to support myself as a playwright. But in your 20s, you don't have that many stories to tell. So I let it go for many years, just trying, you know, a little play here and there. I got a couple of writing fellowships in the 90s. And then I just kept doing journalism until journalism left me. I didn't leave it. (laughs) And then I had time and I had so many stories to tell in my 50s that you know, I'm still catching up. I'm still, I'm still writing them. So the first thing I did was write my one woman show, which was um, just a kind of downloading of uh, of things I wanted to say as a knitter, as a lover of literature, as a woman who has loved and lost many times. So oh. I combined all those in a play about the old knitting curse, the old sweater curse that says, never knit for the one you love. He'll leave you before you finish the sweater. Oh, and, oh, oh, I never heard that one, but so, it's true. I wrote it. Yes, it's true. So I wrote about the unraveled relationships and un, unfinished sweaters and wove into that the stories from great literature of knitters like Madame Defarge from The Tale of Two oh, Cities, geez. Penelope from the story of Ulysses who kept knitting the shroud and then un- unraveling at night waiting night. for her husband. And, and within all of that, came a story about never giving up on love. You've got to keep knitting your sweaters and you've got to keep taking a chance on on love. So that all just sort of came out in a big gush. And as soon as I finished writing it, I had the strange idea of debuting it at the Edinburgh Fringe, where I had never been, had no idea how to get a show into the Fringe. (laughs) But over the next year, I figured all of that out, raised the money, rehearsed the show, hired a director, hired a designer, did it the right way, paying everybody who worked on my piece, and 
that's how I started. I debuted as an actress and playwright at the age of 59. Wow. <laughs> that's amazing. Uh, have you ever done more uh, one-woman things besides I that not. one? I I may do one more. I have an idea maybe for, for another one. But I kind of I did that for three straight years. I did it at the Fringe twice. I did it at, the, at many other festivals, the Dallas Soul Fest, the New Orleans Fringe, the Classic Theater in San Antonio. I've, I've done it at a dozen other places um, since 2013. And I've kind of gotten that out of myself. That's hard work. You're a gypsy, you're all by yourself. Mm. I'm driving my show in my car. You know, yeah. it, all, it all fits in a suitcase, but it's still just me. So, you know, the opening night party is a little bit lonely. Oh, okay. Get <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> your own party. Yeah. yeah so, so once I kind of got that done and, and worked theater from the inside, having watched theater as a critic for 15 years, and, you know, I saw plays, I saw the, how, how one person shows worked and how they didn't work and those were the lessons I learned it's like here's a one person show I would want to see so maybe other people would so then I decided to write plays for older actors that I would have liked as a critic and my emphasis on older actors is because in 15 years as a critic I saw wonderful actors here in Dallas age out of getting good parts yeah and exactly unless yeah I would see them in their 30s just hitting their stride and by the time they got to their mid 40s or 50 what was left some shakespeare driving miss daisy and steel magnolias <laughs> yeah yeah and they were begging for for new stuff and i thought well okay this is this is an opening in the market you know you always want right, to find yeah. a place where they need they don't need another place set in a, a living room about a book club you know we've got that right here <laughs> And I didn't have any kind of big political issue, but I wanted plays that show older people as funny, intelligent, sexy, still engaged fully with life and not just the doddering grandma, I don't know. So that has become my focus, writing parts for the actors I know who are just really eager to find new material. And so that's kind of where then finishing school starts up, yeah. it sounds like. Yes, yeah. exactly. So uh, yeah. the, our audience probably isn't going to know much about finishing school, but uh, do you want to just give us a real quick synopsis of it? Sure. Without finishing. giving the ending away. We don't want to give the ending oh, away. Oh, don't I give the ending away. Spoilers. No. We, lo- we love it, by the way. Yeah, you were our, you uh, were our, very our number one choice, pick. We so were so glad we got the show. Yeah. yeah, we all read like mad so that we could read all of them and decide and get our choices in. And uh, you were universally our first choice. Right. Oh, thank you so much. I'm so glad to hear that. Well, I love it because the people that you write about, it doesn't sound like stage dialogue. Do you know what I mean? Well, that's because most of it I heard my mom say. (laughs) Okay. That's good. I feel really liberally from my mom and her friends and the stories that she has told me. My mom's 89 and lives with me and is, uh, is one of those seniors who has not slowed down. She's off at work right now. Oh, my. She, drive, she drives herself. She goes to the theater by Well, herself. of course she, she does. Listen, um, yeah. I'm 84, so I yeah, sympathize with that. Yeah, you don't so, stop. You just keep going. No, you don't. And because, you know, she's a big inspiration for me, she's also really hilarious. 
So I would make notes, you know, when she told me these stories and things from from her friends that were in assisted living. And then here's here's the whole the whole inspiration for the play and the title. I was reading a little article in New York Magazine. They stopped people on the street for a little column they have who are dressed very fashionably, and they, they do a little Q&A. And they had a picture of this beautiful older woman dressed in a rather eccentric outfit as yeah. she was walked through the park. And they asked her about herself, and she said in a quote that she and her husband live in assisted living in Brooklyn, but they call it finishing school. And that did it. Mm. And I thought, that's that's where I'm starting. I love to have a title first. So oh, I, and you wow. write around your title. With the title, I thought, okay, what can I write about assisted living that isn't depressing? Not and much. Thought, well, assisted living, according to my mom's friends, is kind of like high school. When you move in, you're the new kid. You got to learn the ropes. You got to learn where to sit in the cafeteria. You got to learn, you know, who to who to pal up with. And then usually somebody who's been there a while takes you under their wing and shows you the ropes, right? So I wrote the oldest guy in the assisted living and he's helping the youngest guy with orientation. Ah. And they, they become friends yep. and they sit every morning together after breakfast and they do their, their, their morning conversation. And that's really where it started. So then of course for conflict, I have a couple of flirty women who come into their 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 little circle, and then you know it's about again. I think with all my plays, taking a chance on love when you're older. The older man's still crazy in love with his wife, whom we never see. She's always calling him on his cell phone to come have because it's lunchtime and it's you know ten o'clock in the morning. But the, the uh, younger man, who's 70-ish, he's, he's been burned by love. He's lost a couple of, of great women in his life, and he's not sure he wants to take, take that chance again. He's closed off his heart. So within the stories about being in a place where it's all seniors, you know, like a dorm in college. Oh, jeez. You know, what are the conversations? What are their worries? And how do they spend their time? So that's that's the play, and it does have a happy ending. And Which we're not going to tell. <laughs> don't tell. You have to come and see. How, how long How long did you work on it before you uh, submitted it? Um, that play has been in the works for over a year, and I yeah. had a couple of workshop productions. I had one here, and it was very well received. They had a lot. Of, I had a lot of people come from a nearby assisted living, um, of course where my mom's friends all kind of live. And they dug it and came up to me and said, well, did you have a tape recorder running while we were talking? Because it sounds like us. I was like, that's right. Perfect. And then I had another little workshop production up in the panhandle at a church. And the, the minister played one of the roles and a local actor who had retired up there, and that's how I knew him. Um, he played the younger man and they got local people to do it. They did it in the church hall. And I drove up there to do it. It's a little town called Vernon, Texas. It's up west of Wichita Falls. And oh, Lord. Vernon is a town of about 10,000. And not a lot to do there. And they have no theater. They have no community theater at all. And so the, the younger guy, who's the retiree, the retired actor from Dallas, 
he was just you know itching to do some performance stuff and he wanted to kind of introduce people to the idea of community theater so they did just a little workshop of my play where that all you had to do to come see it was bring a canned good and that was your entry wow. <laughs> so they, they could donate to the local food bank um, sure but they expected 50 people maybe to show up for this little this little play and 150 people came and so suddenly not only did i have a nice big audience laughing and and you know giving me an idea of how this plays outside of dallas but now they've got themselves a community theater and they started asking what, oh. what's the next play going to be wow that's I'm great like, yay yeah. Well, yeah. You know, yeah. Those so after that, I've just done a little bit of tweaking, you know, how you do with the comedy, just to, 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 uh, to work the timing. And actually, those guys in Vernon gave me some, some new lines to use. They were very, <laughs> very funny. Yeah. And that's, that's how I've worked on it. So those are the only two times I've seen it with an audience. I so look forward to seeing a full production, as they say, a fully realized production with lights and you know, a, the scenery and yeah. everything. So well, I can't wait. The, the, the director who uh, I, we're going to get you eventually in contact with, his name is Kevin Nagelski, but when he uh -huh. uh, when he read it, he was very excited. He said, first of all, he could tell that you were an actor because okay. of the way the dialogue was written, but he also just appreciated the moments that you put into your script um, where the, it was okay to be quiet, he said. And it was just, he really, he really, really enjoyed reading it, and he can't wait to work on it. That's something I learned in my one-woman show, not to be afraid of a, a little bit of silence. Yeah. And sometimes it takes a few beats for it, it to sink in. And I've heard the audience with, a de, with delayed laughter, you know, they, oh my gosh, now I get it. And here's my inspiration for that kind of rhythm. I'm an enormous, lifelong fan of the Andy Griffith Show. Oh, oh right, yeah. It says in the front, yeah, on the porch and, with Andy and, yeah. And I think, yeah, in my script, I say, think of this opening scene as Andy and Barney on the front porch. Right. Don't rush it. Right. Give it time. It's two guys and their natural rhythm of talking. Don't play to the laughs. Don't try to be funny. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? So that's also something I learned as an actor from this wonderful director I used on, on my on my solo show. He would say, Don't try to be funny. That the line is funny, the words are funny, the, you know, it's there. You don't have to play comedy. Like, no. all right, that's that's how you do that. That's yeah. how good actors learn that. Yeah. So um, it's gotta be believable dead, the, first. Right. The deadpan kind of conversation is so hilarious between Andy and Barney on the front porch in Mayberry. Right. Yep. So that's my inspiration. Anyway. Yeah, I don't know how many times, like, if I'm directing a show or, or watching a, a rehearsal process, and it's like, you know, I just need for you to go back to what I'll say to the actors, think about watching Bugs Bunny or think about watching the Andy Griffith show or think about yeah. because they depending on what show you're doing, it can actually give you kind of insights into how it may need to be done. But a lot of our younger actors don't have those references. I know. Yeah. So it's kind of nice when you, uh, you just immediately up front referenced it. And so all of us who are in our 50s went, oh, yeah, I get that completely. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Well, I watched it. And I, I did watch it in reruns. Sorry about that. Of course. <laughs> I, still, I still watch it. It's on every morning. And yeah. I, I, the, the writing and the, the acting, I mean, 
you know, they're not playing the comedy. They're just real believable human beings. Right. So that's why I love it. Yep, yep, yep. So cool. So what what was the uh, what was the process with the new Playfest? Uh, as far as uh, was it just did they just send out a call for scripts and then you sent something, or is it uh, a little more complicated than that? It's not really that complicated. I I keep pretty abreast of who's looking for stuff and where to send things, and uh-huh. I tend to want to enter things that don't require you to pay a lot of money. You know, right. Yeah. I mean, this was ten dollars. You know, I can I can front ten dollars, but something about it, I can usually just feel if it's going to, to win. Oh, <laughs> oh, I see. Oh, that's nice. Okay. I knew when I entered it that people, I wrote it for community theaters. I wrote Uh it for your size theater with actors that you've worked with for a long time that you know will nail these parts and that are just eager to have a leading role instead of being the the grandpa, you know? Uh And so when I entered it, I knew it was going to win. (laughs) (laughs) I just waited to find out when. No, that sounds crazy, but I I always have a feeling, like I did with my my Sweater Curse play, I knew when I wrote it, it would work at the Edinburgh Edinburgh Fringe, and it did. Mm -hmm. And I'd never been there, and I didn't know what that that meant. But I knew people in that audience would love it, and they did. So I have good instincts. Maybe it's from being a critic all those years and seeing over 3,000 plays. Oh, yeah. I can see where that would help. You yeah. know, in the first five minutes of a show, if it's good or not, and if oh, it's yeah. been well done, and if then you have to sit the, there for two hours waiting for three. it not to be good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. What is the bane of the critic is two intermissions. Oh, you know? geez. So, uh, but they don't do that much anymore. No. Yeah, we hope not. No. Anyway. Well, for so us, that, can... was, that was the way I entered, and I, I, you know, so many of these festivals now want ten-minute plays. Some of them want one-minute plays. One like, minute. What, what do you? One-minute plays. Wow. Yeah, there are one-minute play festivals. What's the point of that? I want to write a piece of art. I want to write a piece of literature that has, yeah. has a life and tells a story. You can't do anything. Else. A one-minute a one, a one play is a commercial. I mean, that's right. you, you, uh, it's a good writer's exercise, I would su- expect, yeah. because you have to do – you have to you – have, you have compact the you know exposition and right. you know climax and, and resolution and all that into a minute but you know frankly people who write uh, television commercials for aspirin have been doing that for years so it's really not a huge trick you know, and it's just <laughs> it doesn't serve the playwright you know no. it's never going to be done again so right. to find a festival that wanted full length new plays and you know had had no age barrier now this is another thing on oh, really? so many festivals Young emerging playwrights only, under 30, under 35. Oh, you're kidding. Oh, no. Oh, no. I'm not. So I always say when I get rich and sell my plays to the movies, I'm going to to front a festival for writers over 45 or 50. That's right. Good for you. Yeah. (laughs) That's good. The young, you know, I'm an emerging playwright. I've been at it for just a couple of years. So don't put an age limit on it. No. So anyway, yeah. so it was good to find the AACT Fest 
was wide open. Right, yeah. And it was kind of a last-minute decision for us to put our name in there, really. We actually weren't quite sure we were going to make the deadline, it seemed like, <laughs> at the time. But so we, we quickly said, you know, that might be a good idea for us to do something here. And, and uh, you know, we can promote it as a first-ever first show, yeah. uh, you know, first-ever first ever production of a particular right. show. And that's that's very cool. And uh, so it's uh, uh, we're glad it has worked out as well as it has. Of course, we had that gnawing doubt in the back of our minds that what if none of the shows we see are any good or they're all, you know, yeah. terribly, terribly avant-garde and weird, you know, and, and so uh, we were so glad yeah. when yours came along. <laughs> and mine has no dirty language in it. Oh, Lord. You'll, that, oh, it's boy. fine for here. That's, no one yeah. will get up and walk out. But it is, it, it is hard for us here. We don't <laughs> often risk on... Uh, new shows. I mean, it's. Yeah. I don't remember the last time we did a brand new, never before done show. It's been a long time. It's so long. That's I true. can't remember. Yeah, yeah. We well, we we suffer from the same problem that a lot of the community theaters have, which is you have an audience that that, that sort of judges whether they're going to come to a show by whether they've heard it or not, or in some sure. cases, if they've seen it before, like a fiddler or something like that, that they just love and will go. They'll see any production of it, no uh. matter how good it is or bad, and. And, and but then but then if they've not heard of a play they have a funny idea that well maybe they shouldn't go and that's that's the thing we struggle against a little bit in terms of attendance but this one kind of is the is, I think is the best of both worlds because it's something new it's something different and uh, it has that cachet of being the first time ever anywhere mm-hmm. yay yeah yes so and I'm excited I think it's going to be fun I, I, oh it will be yeah, I love it I love yeah. the play yeah. 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 so sure well, I, so I think are, people, do you do any acting now do i yeah i do i do not go and audition or anything i i think i i would just perform my own material and plus i still live in dallas where i was a theater critic forever so you don't want to step you don't want to get get it back into the bullseye right revenge of yeah. the revenge yeah. of, revenge of the uh criticized <laughs> that's right that's yeah. right <laughs> Um, but I don't really have a desire. Plus, you know, I'm 63 now. What, what am I going to play? You know, I don't want to play Weezer in Steel Magnolias. Oh, please. You know. That's my Marsha well, has, has played she likes that, so I like that one. thank you <laughs> I know but listen after I had to see it a thousand times oh I you know, know. Like, honest to God you please, just want you never want to look at it again no and I think the last time I reviewed it I said you know this play is so old there's now better treatment for diabetes you know, <laughs> she could she could live now yeah, yeah. Oh. yes she could <laughs> she could so, Oh, what else can I tell you that would help people uh, come and see this play and love it? I think they're going to laugh a lot. It's not oh, really long. They are. It's, it's, it's a long it's no, yeah, it's it's it's. I think it's 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 really. You know, I, I'm glad you said that you read you were writing it for a community theater because it, it yeah. it's perfect for community theater, and the fact that it's not a long show, it's not, it's and it's. It's funny, and like you said, there are people that we will recognize, the audience is going to recognize the minute they walk out on stage. Yeah, Yeah. they will. I hope so. And, you know, the scenery's easy. There's only a couple of sound cues. (laughs) I really did keep all of that in mind, and that's something you learn playing fringe theaters festivals. When you have 10 minutes to set up a show and 10 minutes to yeah. strike oh, it. Oh, yeah. yeah. You make it as simple as possible. So right. 
Well, and I, you know, I, I kept all of that in mind. You know who my favorite character in the show is? The voiceover? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I love that. Yes. Oh I was actually God. thinking about auditioning for that because I, I thought, think you be oh, that's a, that's a great, I just love that kind of, that dry kind of person that comes oh, over the intercom. Oh, I know. It's a yeah. I love it. Mm, love it. So, uh, I, my, my, and my inspiration for that was uh, from the movie or TV series MASH. Right. Oh, yeah. right. Exactly. right. That's what I thought, too. Yeah. The guy on the so loudspeaker. Can, yeah. So yeah. it can either be somebody who's just chirpy and syrupy enthusiasm with a fake enthusiasm or somebody who's the complete deadpan telling you what's going on. Right, right. Yes, I, I think we're going to so opt for deadpan. Who knows? <laughs> no. It's funny either way. Have you written any other plays besides this? I have, yes. Have they been, so, have you had them produced around there I in have. Texas? I wrote one for a very zippy children's theater company. I wrote them um, A Ripping Christmas Carol, which is a sequel to The Dickens. Okay. So in, in my one-hour sequel, um, Scrooge is a philanthropist like Warren Buffett, and Bob Cratchit now runs the business, and he's so stressed out because he has to support a big mortgage. He has a mansion. No. Kids, <laughs> oh, jeez. The kids are going to college, and Tiny Tim is now suffering from an eating disorder. Oh, I love it. <laughs> so it's, it's, we'll it's, look a, at that. it's the uh, anachronistic comedy full of silly references to modern things, but still still set in Victorian time. Ah, well, that's so um, two, the two children in youth theaters around here have done it, and I, um, a pro- very fancy private school in Fort Worth did it, because it's just an hour, and it's a different Christmas show, again, with a happy ending. Okay, and do you... Do you have a publisher? I mean, like, I don't. like no. dramatists or Samuel French no. or no? Yeah, good luck. Yeah, I wish. What do you have to do to get a publicist? I mean, to get because a, a you have to have um, usually productions in big equity theaters, and in order to get published, a theater artistic director or an agent has to submit them to well. So. It's a little, but I'm not worried. I can market myself, and I send them to people that I know, and sure. we'll get there, to get yeah. there. And then I have uh, my next one for older people is a flip of Romeo and Juliet. Maybe your theater would be interested in the well, future. Send us a script. Called, yeah, it's called Cappy and Monty: A Love Story, and it's about an older couple that meet and fall in love in assisted living at the Halloween dance. Oh, they, um, they immediately spend the night together and then try to figure it out because they're adult children try to keep them apart oh that's wild it's it's what really happens very often among older people their adult kids just can't stand the thought of of mom or dad falling in love again and it's again romance real love real physical attraction between older people and they're smart and funny and sexy and there are complications so it's kind of my flip on Romeo and Juliet okay I think I think you should bring a copy along when you come here <laughs> that's yeah. a good idea yeah it sounds really that's good great. it's very very sweet it's lovely 
Okay, well, um, we've been talking to Elaine Liner, playwright in uh, Dallas, Texas, who has uh, written a show called Finishing School, which is going to be world premiered at Elkhart <laughs> Civic Theater at the Bristol Opera House in September. I can't remember the exact dates off the top of my head. I don't either. remember either. Yeah, John doesn't either. But, so sorry, but in September, guys. so um, brain is not good and uh, obviously, uh, you you are going to be coming up here at least once during during that period of time at some yeah. point or another. So we have to work work out how that's all going to work but uh, yeah, uh, yeah it's great yeah you'll you'll love this little old cracker box theater that we have here <laughs> oh, that's all right yeah uh, well it's uh yeah we got 192 seats and I think we Perfect. probably can fill them so anyway uh, thank you very much for joining us Elaine and uh, of course we'll be seeing you soon and uh, we'll um, we, we can update people on the progress of this via the theater geeks website our blog as well as uh, the Elkhart civic theater.org uh, uh, website as well, so people will, will hear more about this in the future. So, anyway, thanks for joining us. Okay, it's and Elaine, I'm Dave, John, and Marcia. My pleasure. Hey, listen, I'm going to be calling you very soon because okay. I'm going to do right. I'm going to do an article about you for our recently conceived newsletter. Right. That's thank right. You. That's right. right. Okay. Nice to talk anyway, to you. Thank you very much. Uh, just hang on for just one second here while we close out the show. Uh, please remember, folks, to uh, visit our store where we at, at Elkhart. I'm sorry, at theatergeeks.com forward slash store where we have hats, cups, mugs, and let's see, who do I pick on this time? Your favorite, John? Oh, my favorite is well, I always uh, well, Elaine, you're there. I always used to say the underwear, but now I say the teddy bear. The teddy bear. Oh, you took my favorite. I did take right. a favorite. Yeah. Well, Mar- Marshall likes the coffee mugs, I like too. the coffee anyway, And the beer so We have all that stuff. Yeah. Anyway, all that stuff is there for you. And uh, uh, this is, uh, well, anyway, th- thanks again to Elaine. <laughs> and uh, we're going to close it out. I'm done. I'm Dave Dufour. I'm John Shout. And I'm Marsha Fulmer. And we are Theater Geeks. Music for Theater Geeks was provided by MusicAlley.com. This has been a big fat podcast.